0: scale and ultimately exit successful group practices in short we create clarity confidence and results well welcome everybody to yet another episode of the group practice accelerator podcast there's a mindset shift happening right now in the world of group practices especially on the formation side something new that i'm noticing and it's a thrilling trend to be a part of. I can't wait to share it with you from my perspective to your ears. So get your pad and pen ready. You know it'll be a note-taking episode and brew another wonderful cup of that Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome everybody once again to the group practice accelerator podcast i am your host Perrin desports thanks for a few minutes of your time today i'm excited about this episode i'm going to share with you because as we rolled through the end of 2023 and started 2024 there were there were a lot of things that were changing uh most notably in the world of M&A and that's what gets the the 3-inch headlines at the top everybody wants to know the status of the market what are valuations private equities influence what are the trends what's the crystal ball see and all that kind of stuff and well that's kind of cool to talk about and We're in the middle of a couple of very successful transactions right now, knock on wood. Um, But I think this is going to be a different podcast from that. (laughs) We talk about the challenges of operating a group practice. But for those who are at the early stages of building a group and starting out their journey, I'm sensing quite a mindset shift right now. And I think it's a good thing overall. And I want to share it with you. This is probably going to be a two-part episode. I'm gonna to talk today about competitive advantage. And then the next episode, I'm probably gonna talk more about competitive strategy. So let's start to break some of this down together. As we think about the evolution of the profession, dentistry and other healthcare services for sure, but I'm gonna focus a bit more on dentistry today um, because that's you know 80% of the interaction I would say that I get. Uh, And I don't think the trends are dissimilar for other healthcare service verticals that are out there. And we have a lot of people, probably the biggest growing segment of our audience is non-dental right now, which is also very cool to see. So let me rewind the tape a little bit. A lot of you out there are voracious readers, much like myself, when I share book recommendations or things like that, I get a ton of text messages um, and and even some couple of months down the road after somebody has a chance to both read and complete the book. So I'm going to give you the name of a book that's been out for a while. It's, It's probably gone through several different iterations. It came out in, I think, the early 2000s or maybe the late 90s. It's a book called Crossing the Chasm. By a, a gentleman named Jeffrey Moore. And Jeffrey is G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Jeffrey Moore. He's a Harvard business school professor or was at the time. And Crossing the Chasm is a tech book. It's about selling uh technology products to mainstream customers. And some of you who may have heard of the book, even if you haven't read it, or you might have seen some um, findings from the book, even if you didn't know it was attributed to him, I'm gonna to try to lay it out to you real quick because I think this is very pertinent to where we find ourselves right now. So uh, Jeffrey Moore's book, uh, Crossing the Chasm, is all about selling technology products to mainstream customers. Well, what does that mean? Everybody is familiar with the concept called the bell curve, right? We've seen it in the way... Uh, you know, assessments are given or, or grades are given in, in school, and we know what the bell curve in terms of population distribution is and everything else like that. Well, in marketing parlance, the bell curve represents the way uh, the masses buy stuff, all right? and And the book, the premise of the book is that when we start working our way through the bell curve, there are the the bell curve is segmented into several different slices at the left side of the curve meaning the early stages of the curve those are known as innovators innovators buy technology products um, because they uh, they see something that nobody else sees. They typically want to be the first in terms of doing something um, and they're, they're gadget people typically. After the innovators take on the product and, and cost is usually no uh, barrier for them, then you have something called the early adopters. Early adopters is probably a phrase that many of you have heard before, but these are people that, Ah, uh, recognize the application of whatever that technology product is, uh, and and they understand how it fits within their lives. They like to be known as being one of the first to have the newest gadget or or digital type of a product, um, and they uh, they they feel like it reflects positively upon them as a consumer. Uh, they like to brag about it a little bit. All right, the chasm in Jeffrey Moore's book occurs between the early adopters and what's known as the early mainstream and the premise of the book and the reason that it's a technology book is because we all know a lot of technology oriented products that don't make it to early mainstream or they don't make it far enough into early mainstream and for tech products the way technology is developed Um, the way it's funded, the way those businesses are constituted, it typically requires a lot of uh, upfront investment. If the upfront investment is going to pay off, if the business is going to be successful, if the widget is going to make it to mainstream, and if the investors in the business are going to have a windfall outcome from it, then it has to cross the chasm between early adopters and early mainstream. If it is successful in doing that, then there's a a brush fire that happens if you will and more people um, end up standing in line to buy iphones for example and the product is a hit it's easy for mainstream consumers to adopt it's easy for them to purchase the price point is relatively reasonable Uh, it's easy to apply in their their lives they come to rely on it and the technology proliferates and expands from there uh, until you get uh, through the top end of the bell curve and then you have late mainstream on the downside curve on the backside of it at least and then what's known as laggards laggards at the tail end of the bell curve on the far right side are the people who either don't have a, a cell phone at all, or maybe they're still using a flip phone instead of something like an iPhone Um Uh, or or an Android type of a product. So, all right, what what does all this mean and why is it relevant uh, to us? It's relevant because what we're sensing, what I'm seeing in the marketplace right now, as it relates to people building group practices, is that crossing of the chasm into the early mainstream. Everybody talks about the consolidation of the industry, uh, dentistry at least, um, and again, other healthcare verticals. And everybody talks about it being driven from a valuation context and uh, massive private equity influence and a lot of other things like that. But it's typically driven from an exit mentality, meaning the entrepreneur who built a group practice that was successful, he or she wants to transact the business, find a capital partner, take some chips off the table, sell the business, and, you know, their bank account um, and stay on with the business going forward but also you know cash out to a degree absolutely nothing wrong with that and there were a lot of people in the early um, 20 teens mid 20 teens and and certainly pre-pandemic That were building group practices for the sake of exiting group practices Uh, and that was the rush valuation multiples reflected that and when we had low low cost of debt funds velocity was high Um, again nothing wrong with that however as the industry consolidates it's mostly That consolidation is mostly being driven through an economies of scale perspective, and it's being driven by private equity influence. The shift that I think we're seeing right now is away from an imminent build and exit, built for sale, in other words, and into more of what I would call the build and operate mentality. And I think this is a really cool phenomenon from a lot of the conversations that I've had over the last probably three to six months. Um, If I rewind the tape, coming out of last summer and into the conference that we hosted in Phoenix, uh, scaling from clinician to CEO, uh, we had about um, 30 to 40 unique businesses represented at that conference. So I got a lot of quality time with the participants uh, who were there, got to have a lot of Conversations on breaks. I was fortunate enough to do uh, quite a good number of discovery days through the through the end of um, uh, last year, um, which is a one on one session with somebody who's contemplating building a group practice, or maybe they've got two or three locations. They're wondering what's next. So these are one on one, really conversations of great depth and and substance and su- significance. Um, Those were always a lot of fun. The Catalyst project is sold out uh, that will be uh, starting in another week, uh, which is really cool. And I've gotten to interact with the participants who are going to be in that class with me. And they're all in the probably one to three, I think one to three location uh, range. So these are early stage group practices uh, with really heady entrepreneurs who are not in a hurry. And 80% of the time or more, I hear the same refrain from these people, which is the following. I want to build a group practice, but I'm not interested in selling it anytime soon. And that is a substantial shift from what we saw probably five to six years ago, certainly pre-pandemic, which was Hey, I want to build a business of you know X Y Z size and volume. I'm looking to to do a, a transaction where I can have a second bite of the apple. I know what I want uh, the numbers in my bank account to be, but a lot of it was you know build for exit purposes. It had a more of a short term horizon on it, uh, if that's the right way of categorizing it. But it had a finite point in their growth strategy um, based around an, an exit. Uh, and again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it is a substantially different. I, I would say that type of a conversation I'm having is the vast exception to the rule versus those that are build and operate right now. And I started noticing this in the second half of last year, and the cadence keeps picking up with that same familiar refrain. So the build and operate uh, type of mentality is is much more, um what i would call methodical it, there's less um urgency or there's there's less uh, rapid pace involved with it it's really wanting more to to build off of a solid foundation to to not use a trial and error methodology of of getting to a finish line at an arbitrary point in time in the future it's driven more from Uh, uh, a longer term perspective. Uh, These businesses may ultimately be sold, but the the entrepreneur in question has no defined timetable to do that. Um, They know they want to build a group practice. They want to build it the right way. And they're maybe not even interested in building a group practice that's, you know, eight to 10 to 12 to 20 locations. These could be three to five location groups. And usually a lot of them are saying that, they probably don't want to go beyond about five locations. Uh, limit the chaos. Uh, limit the the debt leverage to it, uh, and have greater peace of mind. I think that's really cool as we as we revert back to that bell curve that I was talking about because a lot of this is uh, indicative of some of that early mainstream DIY type of an approach. It's much more methodical um, and uh, uh, less urgency behind it. And I think that's great because I believe that the industry is consolidating. Uh, We will end up, we already have probably more than 50% of the profession involved with some aspect of group practice versus traditional solo practice. So, So from that standpoint, the industry is certainly consolidating but just because it's consolidating doesn't mean that it's going to be 100 percent backed by private equity and i think if we end up down the road where certainly there are more group practices than solo practices uh that that's a that's a certainty but i think it would also be very very cool to think about um the possibility of uh, those the the group practice side of the pie, um you know, maybe being something like sixty forty private equity to to privately held uh, debt funded, meaning. um and those are going to be smaller groups. They're going to be more prolific. They're going to be um you know the the founder is probably going to be an active participant in the clinical services that are going to be rendered. um, they're not going to be just working on the business, but they're going to be working in the business. These are businesses that are really geared around hitting singles and doubles instead of swinging for home runs and grand slams. And I think that is a healthy mindset, and it's a great thing for the profession um, to not be in a hurry um, to to quickly exit uh, or prematurely exit, for that matter. And and I think the you know it 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 sort of underscores also the aspect that there are people who. Realize that operating a a small business is a challenge in any way, shape, manner, or form, and a solo uh, healthcare practice is is very daunting. From you know a rising cost basis driven predominantly by wages, most of them being insurance um, uh, dependent or or. More than 50% of the payer mix being of an insurance variety and and stagnating reimbursement rates or in some cases declining reimbursement rates creates a, a challenge from a revenue construct at the top end of the uh, business. And when you couple that with a, a rising cost basis, it's it's challenging. Then you add in the regulatory and compliance and just general complexities around operating a business of any sort let alone marketing and creating value proposition for an increasingly finicky type of a customer base or patient base this is a this is a challenging environment to be in uh, and I hear this from all of you it's I mean, we're not immune from that at Polaris. Different applications, certainly, but some of the same general principles and, and challenges confront us um, uh, every bit as much as they do y'all building group healthcare practices and group dental practices. So I think this is a a, a neat phenomenon. It is something that uh, I don't want to say is overdue, but it's a welcome change of a mentality from from my perspective and and i think it further corroborates the advantages that group practices have and you don't have to build a 20 location group to start to realize some of those advantages again these are probably if we call them emerging groups i don't really know what you know the the how you name them but maybe it's something akin to three to five locations and that's a an outcome that might be realized over you know, six to 10 years, maybe Um, buying or building an additional practice every second or third year, um, making sure that they're integrated very well, um, operating very efficiently, uh, focused on clinical care and patient services and really making an impact uh, and probably still affording all the, the opportunities of, you know, minority partnership structures, certainly some level of Of valuation improvement across the uh, organization, and and still getting um, a pretty decent degree of um, you know economies of scale on both the expense side as well as the revenue side, and all of that can be realized without necessarily having to get to twenty locations. um, You know, and if if done correctly, yields pretty good cash flow out of it. And I think when you have a longer term mindset. We say that that income and wealth are competing interests in building a group practice, and that is a hundred percent true. But if you're not focused on um, creating a uh, you know a transaction in a short term period, then this is an opportunity for you to build a lifestyle business that yields really really nice cash flow and do it methodically with a higher degree of control. Um, and and I like that. Um, so I. This is something that, um, you know, I've been sensing for a little while. I think probably there are a lot of you in this audience that can relate to what I'm saying because these are the direct conversations that I've had with a bunch of you, and most of you say, "Hey, I enjoy listening to your podcast," so you know who you are in the audience. Um, but. Uh, the fact that I've had this this type of uh, ongoing conversation over the last probably four to six months, and at a, at an increasing cadence uh, as of late, is uh, is a great phenomenon and something that um, really gives me a lot of um, uh, a lot of excitement for not just 2024, but the years to come as well. And I think as we start to recraft some of the, uh, the services that we provide here at Polaris and the way we interact and work with clients, um, uh, you know, there'll be more of a, an application and opportunity to work together as you all start to build, um, I don't wanna say smaller groups because that almost sounds disparaging, but just more you know, emerging groups with a more methodical growths, uh, growth trajectory to them. All that's really healthy. And I think you have a lot of competitive advantages in doing it. So I'm uh, I'm I'm eager to report from the field some of the positivity that I hear, uh, and I also think it'll create a lot of fun in the future for all of us. So, with that being said, let me transition uh, quickly uh, to our conference in uh, Puerto Rico, April twenty fourth through twenty sixth. Um, it is. Uh, called Accelerate 2024. It is arguably not oriented at the uh, group that I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, the emerging group of you know, one to three, three to five types of locations. This is a, a five to 50 location type of a conference. There are still those who have who've started on their journey uh, and they're at you know, five to 10 to 20 locations, Um, they may or may not have an exit intention, but they're looking to take, they're looking for their emerging group to take the next step and one that, where they can bring on a professional C-suite leadership team, develop a call center, certainly a management company, uh, start to use equity as a catalyst for both buy side and an acquisition strategy, but also from an executive equity and an associate equity uh, perspective and a whole lot more. Um, What is a rising rate environment or the the high rate uh, interest rate environment that we find ourselves in? How does that impact groups and their growth strategy? We're gonna unpack all of that Puerto Rico is a pretty cool place to be in late April, and we're awfully excited about it. And you're going to hear more about our speakers and our sponsors coming up. That registration is open. Uh, A number of you have already taken advantage of the early bird discount um, opportunity through the end of January. So depending on when this drops, that may um, uh, may have already come and gone. But for those uh, who are interested in joining us in Puerto Rico, we're going to limit this to about 60 people uh, to keep it highly interactive uh, and really be able to go through a lot of depth. There's gonna be a ton of content down there, more than what we had um, at our Building Your Enterprise Platform session in Fort Lauderdale this past year. So if you're interested in joining us, registration is open. We certainly expect it to sell out. There'll be a lot more fanfare coming. Um, but hope you can uh, carve out a couple of days and join us in sunny Puerto Rico the end of April. It will be a, a cool event with some um, uh, high-end featured speakers and I think a lot of great content for those looking to to build their group into the next phase beyond just that early mainstream uh, and really take it to the next level. I really appreciate all of you being listeners and subscribers. I appreciate you sharing the show. It's so cool when I get a uh an email or a text message from somebody saying hey so and so shared your show with me i i I really enjoy it i've gone back and downloaded all 150 episodes and good grief but that happens (laughs) and i appreciate all of you being such advocates for us thanks for being a listener and a subscriber we'll see you on the next episode